Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Fuji Love Podcast. This is a show brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. There you'll find the latest and greatest news on all things Fujifilm, whether it's the Fujifilm X series cameras or GFX. It's all found there at fujilove.com. So subscribe today. And right now on fujilove.com, the big discussion is the X200, a brand new camera by Fujifilm. You get the first impressions, a lot of the latest and greatest on the specs. Is this a camera that's good for you? And there's a lot of video links that you could find on Fujilove. So go ahead, check it out. You'll be glad you did. Our guest for this week is David Amell. He is not just a great Fujifilm photographer, but he's also a tech writer for the Android Authority. This episode is very tech heavy. Uh, we went to town talking about computational photography, the ins and outs of the workings of the image sensors and processors, not just to Fujifilm cameras, but also the smartphone photography, the photography that's replaced the consumer point-and-shoot cameras of yesteryear. It was an awesome conversation, so let's get right into it. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce David Amell to the program. Dave, how's it going, man? It's good. It's good. Uh, just got back from CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, and uh, that's always crazy every year. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of still detoxing from that, but I, it's a chill stage between then and Mobile World Congress, which happens in February. So, yeah, slight chill stage. For me. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, re- yeah, no rest there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, man, I got to say, I'm really impressed with your photography as well as your background. You have a very strong technical background that I am personally jealous of. Uh, <laughs> I used to be pretty good and, and uh, age and time has caught up to me. And uh, now the, the young folk are taking over, <laughs> but I, I am super impressed uh, w- with your background because not only are you, are you great and well-versed in the Fuji landscape, but you're also well-versed in the mobile photography landscape, which is something that I'm, uh, very passionate about as well. So bringing that knowledge to the table here is uh, is going to be a super fun conversation. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. No problem, man. Uh, so tell me a little about yourself. Like, wh- what are you using currently for your photography? And-, and what are your kind of favorite subjects to photograph? Um. So currently I'm using an X-T3 as my main shooter. Yeah, uh, I have an T- uh, TX1 that I recently acquired uh, that's become like an obsession of mine. Um, which is a, it's a panoramic medium format film camera for you guys that don't know what that is, because I actually posted some TX1 photos and everyone's like, do you mean XT1? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a Hasselblad X-Pan that is branded as a Fujifilm camera because they actually manufactured it. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's a gorgeous so I've been, I've been, camera. Oh, it's so it's it's pure titanium. And yeah, uh, Jonas Rask turned me onto that camera and I cannot <laughs> I would not look back. But yeah, for as, as far as like a workhorse camera, um, 
been using the xt3 i was on the xt2 before this yep and uh just kind of like was a natural transition at the time i was really interested in the 4k 60 10 bit video recording yeah uh, because i make a lot of videos (laughs) uh probably two videos a week on currently on the android authority youtube channel uh doing a lot of mobile phone reviews and stuff like that and so i've always kind of seen the funny thing is that like the xt2 was not really made to be a video camera but i bought the gh the panasonic gh5 when it came out because i go to ces every year which is that trade show i was talking to you about and panasonic announced the gh5 in like 2016 at ces maybe 2017 Mm -hmm. and as a like person who was really into specs and features uh it was the first camera with 4k 60 it was the first camera with internal 10 bit recording as a feature and i was like oh this is amazing this is gonna be cool because at the time i was not into photography or video at all um and i bought it pre-ordered it and i just hated it (laughs) (laughs) uh so i Actually, I went on Instagram and I was like, you know what? What what are the cameras that like all my favorite photographers are using? Yeah, because I don't really enjoy shooting on this like GH5. It's not fun. And weirdly enough, overwhelmingly, it was Fujifilm cameras. And I don't know if that's like a certain style that I like that other Fuji shooters happen to be into. You know, maybe more street photography, more moody portraits, more stylized stuff that's more artistic i guess versus uh clinical or i don't know not to i hear you other you know i don't know there's a look you know my a lot of my favorite photographers have a very specific style so uh anyway i bought an xt20 at the time because i was like it had just come out yeah and i had watched a bunch of reviews of the xt2 and i was like it's like $800 $800 versus like 1500 So I'm going to get that. And then it's XT2 light. That ended up. Yeah. XT2 light. <laughs> and it, it just ended up feeling too small for me. And also like I was recording emphasis on light minutes at a time. <laughs> yeah. Emphasis on the light. Yes. And I, I also didn't really like the grip as much. And so I ended up getting the XT2 and then that was just instantly my favorite thing ever. And I, part of the reason why I'm so into Fuji as a, as like a brand and as a camera experience is because I, I owe my love of photography to them. Basically. Amen to that brother. <laughs> yeah. Which I think a lot of us can relate to. Um, yeah. My, yeah, my so, first was uh, the Fuji film S 7,000 back in the day, back when oh, it was uh, all fine picks. Yeah, yeah. 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 All the fine fix brand. My mom had a fine fix and I, it's, it's a very interesting camera. I think they've gone in a good direction with their current lineup. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. They went <laughs> yeah. positive direction. <laughs> no yes. doubt about it. Interchangeable lens cameras. <laughs> yep. That's a good, yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So I've, I've been writing about Google and Android and, and making videos about that um, for, a lot of years, probably six years. Uh, when I was in high school in like 20, 2009, I was like, Android was first becoming a thing. And I was like, suddenly really interested in it. Cause I was like a computer nerd. And I was like, if you can have the power of technology in your pocket, this is insane. Like yeah. the, the power of the internet, the power of the internet, mostly the power of the internet in your pocket. So I vowed that I wanted to 
be the head of Android at Google by the time I was like 28 or whatever. And then, <laughs> so that's why I ended up going to school for computer science. Right on, uh, man. I worked at Intel for a couple of years, but realized I hated it because it was a lot of red tape and crap. Um, yeah, so I just figured if I can turn this into, if I can turn my ranty personality and like liking technology into a job, I could make that a thing. So then I started writing about it and doing videos about it. And Perfect transition. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. So, so then this kind of like merge of, me eventually realizing I liked cameras was kind of perfect for Android because, or, or at least phones, because in the, the last couple of years, uh, there's been this question that everyone keeps posing where the smartphone market is obviously the fastest, uh, like people are buying smartphones faster than they're buying any other product in their life because right. they update it once a year, maybe twice a year. I mean, w- maybe once every two years. But and that's slowing, obviously, but the smartphone market kind of pushes technology, whether or not it's at a small scale. And then later on, it balloons kind of starts with the smartphone market. And we've gotten to this point where like manufacturers have figured out how to cheat optics. Like they figured out how to it doesn't matter how much light you're getting. You can use AI and these other you know, forms of computational photography to like fill in missing information using machine learning and all this different stuff. And so a couple of years ago, I kind of was like, I love photography. I don't like using my smartphone, but like to take photos, but I, I, I see this gap here. I see this intersection uh, of photography and, and phones. So that's kind of where my interest in computational photography showed up. Yeah. What do you think of the 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 smartphone market is and again I'm not stating I, I'm stating the obvious here uh but it it has usurped and taken over the point and shoot market where that used to be the camera company's yes. bread and butter and now it's kind of like the just the realm of uh the the smartphones how do you feel about you know with, with your knowledge of computational photography just this trying to make the the smartphone device more like a dslr like there's a lot of ways that you're trying to mimic the the bokeh effect you're trying to mimic yeah uh, certain ways of photography like the the raw processing manual folk you know the the yeah so i have multiple opinions on this um i i think there's a lot of manufacturers like Huawei or Samsung. Huawei is probably the best example. Uh, for you guys who don't know Huawei, they're a, they're a Chinese smartphone manufacturer who recently <laughs> kind of stopped making smartphones because of this drama with the United States government. But uh, they have kind of pushed smartphone photography forward in terms of like a DSLR sense in the yes. last couple of years. They've been the ones that have been using huge sensors Um and just like trying to take in as much information as they can and then offer like a very pro mode where you can like you can change ISO, you can change aperture, you can change every little thing you can do raw. And meanwhile, uh, Google is kind of taking the other pr- approach. Uh, if you've seen a Pixel phone, you probably know that the Pixel phone is is known as being like the best point and shoot camera phone you can buy. Yeah. Uh, and there's a reason point and shoots are all but dead at this point or dying very rapidly because the amount of pictures that people take with their smartphones is like 
unreal. Whereas like, why would you go through the process of needing to use a point and shoot and then transfer the images off of it through an SD card onto a computer? And then like, I don't know, so many people just don't want to edit any, like the average consumer doesn't really care about editing that much. And if they do, they're just using like a filter and slap so, on a filter and be done with it. And, and yeah, you can share instantly. Yeah. So, so Huawei or like some manufacturers are, they just want to take in as much data as possible. Right. That's why yeah. you've got like the Huawei uh, P30 pro has like an optical five X telephoto lens. And, and this is another thing is that I think that, smartphone manufacturers have realized that uh, they need to make their camera systems as versatile as possible. So that's why you're seeing s smartphones with four, like three, four, even five cameras on the back. Yep. Because you want to be able to have a macro lens. You want to have a high resolution standard lens, a wide angle lens, a telephoto lens, and maybe like another telephoto lens that is like very telephoto. So right. they just want to make these like extreme power sets which makes sense because there would be less reason to buy a point and shoot uh if you have a smartphone that can do it all and that's why the you know the iphone 11 has three cameras that's why the a lot of phones have three cameras at this point right uh, google google they are a company that is built by software uh they that software runs in their blood and they have effectively used pretty much the same sensor in their phone since like the pixel one they haven't really like made the sensor bigger or used more megapixels and in a way i respect them for that because there's a lot of marketing crap that goes around where companies like sony or samsung um not calling out sony imaging more like <laughs> the ones that make the the sensors for smartphones they'll make these like 108 megapixel sensors because they can. Right. But I think what it's a, it's a marketing ploy because what people don't realize is when you subdivide a sensor and in a, either the same amount of space or just a slightly more amount of space, you get less light information per diode. Right. And, and I think iPhone, uh, Apple is, uh, <laughs> sorry sorry no yeah. siri that she she's the bane of my existence no matter what phone <laughs> ha, uh, she she's she's on but basically apple has really brought uh shed some light on that in, in their keynotes uh no pun intended about uh the the quality of the pixel uh trying to emphasize that it is it, it's all about quality over quantity i guess right. in, in the end uh, um, yeah, Google, Google, they, they want to focus on software so much because they're a company which has probably more information about everything than anyone else does, right? Their sample sizes of everything is obnoxiously large. When you take a photo on an, any Android phone and you've got auto upload turned on, which is on by default in Google photos, that's more data for them to sample from, to do things like semantic segmentation, say like this. This is an eye. These are lips. This is a cheek. I can apply a filter in this way to make this look better. They can um, do image recognition to say like, you know, to do like what you were talking about earlier, that fake bokeh effect. Um, currently, the the bokeh thing, I don't, it's not very believable yet. Uh, I agree. But everything goes, everything goes through, through a rough spot. I think that uh, Mark Lavoie, who he kind of builds the software for pixels camera and he was 
he coined the term computational photography. So he knows what he's talking about. He showed me a few like prototypes of their of their camera software, and they're they're consistently adding more points of depth, uh, more ways to extrapolate depth in more areas. So if you can do that, if you have infinite points of depth reference, you can technically uh, look at what is the mathematical representation of depth on a on a regular camera and then apply that to software. So a lot of these things are fixable, right? It's like they are figuring out how to get around physics uh, using computers. The, another thing is uh, Google's HDR plus algorithm, which was first debuted in like the Nexus 6P and it's kind of been the foundation of why their images are so good. Um, and it's it's one of the first videos I made about computational photography was about this. Basically, they're using the the gyroscope in your phone to know exactly how much your hand moves at any given time. Yeah. And they take they take like 10 exposures of the same area very fast so that you uh, don't blow out the highlights. And then they take the average pixel color of every pixel. And usually what happens when you take an image and you bump the shadows is that you're going to get noise. But, but photon noise is random. And because photon noise is random, if you take a sample of, if you take 10 samples and layer them on top of each other and you take the average pixel color when you bump the shadows, even if you have one pixel that is white because it's got noise, the others are not white. And so you get more of this kind of mostly that color with yeah. a little bit of gray, but it's got really good dynamic range. Um, so phones have been like obsessed with dynamic range for the last, I would say four years. And it's uh, it's hit or miss. I would say I I hate dynamic range. <laughs> I hear personally. you. I'm like it, a shadows it, guy. Right, and so with with the classic, so you have like a great classical sense of photography where you don't you appreciate the fine art of uh of having a good contrast or yeah. And so yeah, let's bring like, this back to Fujifilm uh, because right. your knowledge again, your computational knowledge is. I mean, I could listen to you for hours and, and I, <laughs> uh, but um, to bring it back to, to Fujifilm. Um, right. And, and one <laughs> of the, no, 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 that's yeah. all good. Because what you, what you said was a great foundation of like how people are envisioning photography, but Fujifilm has been able to still keep that sense of commercial market. Because right now, while smartphones are, dominating the the consumer products fujifilm is in a unique position where their film is dominating the consumer market as well which is doing a lot yeah. of their financing with the, with the instax and, and their prints the fujifilm has been focusing on their own computational photography in their film simulations and yes yeah. I, I wanted to just real quick uh and, and before we get into uh more talk about the film simulation. Do you feel that Fujifilm, and it's it's a tr- loaded question there, and it's going to sound <laughs> stupid, but if, follow me here. Do you feel that Fujifilm is doing more than just filters on their cameras? Like, what what do you know of uh, the the film simulations and what goes into them before the 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 shutter is even pressed? It's it's a lot of very refined tweaking 
Um, I think what it really comes down to is because Fujifilm uses the X trans filter on most of their X series cameras, uh, the data comes in differently. It gets the light gets processed differently than it does on other cameras. And they have their own processor, right? They are tweaking a processor to react to light in a certain way. So that's the whole reason why the X converter software exists, <laughs> where you take an image on your computer and then you use your your camera to process it like hardwired <laughs> because yeah. it actually is using the processor on the camera to like apply that simulation. So it, it is it is you could say a filter because it's still tweaking the data but it's it's tweaking it differently because only a fujifilm processor can really apply it in that way yeah uh, and it's more hard baked than than most are there's there's a reason um i quote jonas Raskala. i really like his work and he he has talked about before that a lot of the time like he can't get the same look uh in Lightroom than he could if he just took a Fujifilm JPEG and and messed with the Fujifilm JPEG. Agreed. He can't <laughs> get back he can't get back to that JPEG look with a raw file and tweaking settings. There's there's kind of a and and I don't know, like as a computer nerd, like I know that it is theoretically possible to get to a point in which the look is you you can't tell the difference, but getting there is an art form, right? Like, first of all, I tell people this all the time, but Fujifilm is one of the only camera companies that actually made film. So they know what they're doing in terms of, like, imaging, right? Like, Nikon didn't make film. Uh, Canon didn't make film. Like, they all used, co- you, you know, if you were a film photographer, you used Fujifilm, you used Kodak, you used, like, a few other film stocks that you could get. But, like, Fujifilm and Kodak really dominated the market. Yeah. So... And and Fujifilm again, like they have one or two, one or two guys that is spending almost all of their time working on the next film simulation, working on tweaking the next film simulation to be as close to that original film stock as physically possible. Um, and that's going to take you know a lot of testing and R and D and just like an eye for the way something's supposed to look. Um, man, I would love a documentary I, on that, that process. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, I think I might be able to send you. So I, I remember reading something about, there's like one specific dude in particular who is just like in charge of film simulations for Fuji and his entire job is like making the next one. Yeah. Um, they, they, Fuji film did a YouTube, uh, I mean, they make some great YouTube, uh, videos. Yeah. And, they make and some cool videos. Yeah. They they had something I, I I just don't recall, but I don't think it was as in depth as I think they could make it. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. sure they could go like a mini series on that stuff for for nerds like us. Yeah, but I mean, like <laughs> when it comes down to the computational part, like yeah. they've tweaked their processor to have a specific look, and um, you have to process it through that processor mixed with that filter array that they have to really get the look that that you're going to want. And I, I would just say like, trust, tr- trust in those old film guys. Cause they know what they're doing. You know, it's like, and I think a lot of be... people do because uh, I mean, oh, how yeah. many Fuji photographers do you know that just go JPEG only? I, I mean, I, Oh yeah. I myself with my wedding photography, I take raw, but 
Like, yeah, the amount of times I've had to use the raw was very, very slim. Yeah. Like, yeah. And even like, you know, light, you can compare like a lot of people like uh, Capture One because it is closer that like their their film simulations, they work with Fuji like very tightly. Yeah. And if you take a raw file and you put it through there and you apply the classic Chrome or whatever, it'll be closer to the JPEG processing camera. But it's you can compare them. They are not the same. Uh, I do not like Lightroom's like Lightroom is real bad when it comes to like trying to copy the the fuji simulations and yeah it's it's hard because a lot of the time like i'm a reporter and i have to i'm on the in the field like doing stuff really rapidly and but i still want things to look good i think that's like if you're a if you're a camera nerd and you're also a nerd it's this weird uh like balance of i want this to be beautiful but i also just need to get the information out as fast as possible yes <laughs> um yeah so so yeah, I have to, I have to use Lightroom when I do because it's like faster to process than Capture One. But if I have time to work on something, I'll use a combination of Capture One and and uh, Photoshop. Right, just because um, it's a little bit closer. Or I'll take the JPEG and I'll just mess with that one of the two. <laughs> that that's what I end up using in the end. <laughs> JPEG. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. with so. that, um, I gotta ask, what, what what's your favorite si- film simulation? So I've oscillated uh, a lot. Yep. I used to be classic Chrome all the way every day. Yeah. Um, and I kind of moved into using Astia more uh, because like I was using classic Chrome and I love it and it's very moody. But for for the the type of photography I was doing for work, which is mostly product photography, documenting uh, new technology. Yep. I think it's it, it is pretty important to like show something as it is. And I think Astia is a good combination of like realistic with a bit of brightness and style. Um Velvia I'll use sometimes if I want something to be really punchy and then I've actually found myself using uh uh not classic negative um something pro negative high or is that what it's called pro yes pro negative high yeah i've been f- finding myself using pro negative high instead of classic chrome uh because it is a it a, a little bit less contrasty for when i'm trying to like get more detail in a in a product um yeah <laughs> so i use a combination it's like astia pro negative high and like occasionally velvia but usually velvia is a little a little too intense Velvia is for those special moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny is I, I used a Velvia film, st- an actual film stock on my TX1 uh, for this portrait shoot that I did recently. And it's it, it feels much less saturated. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that's a result of the screens that we're looking at Velvia on versus like, you know, film. <laughs> but uh, I didn't tweak that photo at all. And it's just freaking beautiful. But um yeah. That's another story because now I've become obsessed with actual film, which is a whole nother problem. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. a good problem to have. I mean, especially if you're using the 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 panoramic the camera. One. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, oh my it's, god, that's uh it's unlike anything else. It's you so nail a shot with that and it's you you, you could ride that high for uh, at least a <laughs> yeah. month. I actually just got this uh panoramic of the Nico Mountains in Japan that I took a few weeks ago That's printed what I'm talking about. Yes. printed really big on glass and it's it's being shipped to me right now and I'm just like 
I'm riding that high of like excitement of like actually getting some a panoramic that I took on a film camera printed on glass. And uh, yeah, it's, That's amazing. it's a good feeling. <laughs> it's a good feeling. So uh, kind of uh, still talking about the film simulations, we you, to, to date this podcast, it, it, it's January. DP Review basically did a, kind of like a tongue in cheek video on the the Fujifilm Kaizen and how you know there's they they put forth the question I don't think they uh, how serious they were but like how serious Fujifilm is in uh doing the firmware updates uh for yeah. previous cameras and before the show started uh before we were recording you were mentioning that there have been ton of updates and everything like that yeah i think that they're probably referring to like there haven't there for the X-T3, there hasn't necessarily been an update that has like made the camera a new camera. Yeah. But but I mean something that should be noted, I think, uh, is that the X-T2 didn't get its biggest update until after the X-T3 was already announced. Um so I think it's very like the update that really changed the X-T2 for me that made it such a workhorse video camera because, again, like, I don't think Fuji ever expected to get into, like, the video space, but obviously with the X-H1, they kind of tried to dabble in it while also trying a little too hard to stay as a photo camera, and it didn't necessarily work out for them, but the X-T3, it's very clear that they were they were intentionally trying to make something that people could use for things like YouTube and to make really awesome videos. Yeah. Uh, Cause they included things in it that were again, like I was talking about the Panasonic GH five before that was the first mirrorless prosumer camera to have 4k 60. The XT three was the second. Um, and XT three has an APS-C sensor, which means there's a lot, lot more data going through uh, the processor. So it definitely needed that that new X pro processor. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so like after that camera came out, if the X T three came out, the X T two got the 180 FPS or 120 FPS. No, 180 FPS, 1080 P recording. Um, it got the internal 10, uh, F log. Yes. And then it got, it got 10 bit. If you attach it to a monitor, uh, and it was, pretty much all the things that the xh1 was get or no the xt3 had except for like a couple things like it can't do internal 10 bit and it can't you know it doesn't have ibis or whatever that xt3 doesn't either but it it kind of fell at the time to me like why would you buy an xh they kind of cannibalized the xh1 a little bit by by giving it that update xh1 has had some it, that that has had a rough history. It's got a rough <laughs> history. I wanted it just for the IBIS, to be honest, but then I actually got to use a pre-release unit, and they were trying to do too many things. They were trying to target the Nikon user that hasn't yet switched over to mirrorless, because uh, that was before the, the Nikon mirrorless had come out. Yeah. And then they were also... Uh, trying to target like all their ads and like the stuff they did with like DP review and stuff was all, this is a, a filmmaker's camera. You can attach these like super crazy high quality cinema lenses to it. Yeah. Um, but like, 
it's like, what market are you really going for? Because a Nikon user is not a cinema user. And the body was like a Nikon, but then the, what they were marketing it as was a video body, but it had Ibis. So I don't know. It's, it was a weird camera anyway. Yeah. That's a, that's a separate tangent, but, um, I feel like the X-T2 got most of the marquee features of the X-T3. The benefits you're getting in the X-T3 are the better processor means that you're getting way better autofocus because it can sense for things more often. It has much more accurate like eye detection and face detection. Uh, you've got faster, um, bigger buffers, and it can take photos faster and process them faster. Uh, and then things like not having... Things like having the headphone jack in the camera. Like, I, I felt like, personally, the X-T3 felt like that video camera that they wanted to make. The only thing they didn't weren't able to put in it was the IBIS. Yes. Um, and personally, I would like IBIS, me, but every filmmaker that I've talked to who loves the X-T3 is like, why would I ever use IBIS? Because they're always using a gimbal, or if they want to use a gimbal, or they're using a shoulder rig. And there's like, when you're actually filmmaking there is a part of the bump to bump to bump that you get with a shoulder rig that you can't get on a gimbal because it's like too smooth. You know, you see like gimbal shots in ads and you see gimbal shots in uh, things that you want to look perfect. But in filmmaking, you're not trying to make something perfect. You're supposed to, you're trying to evoke an emotion. Yes. So if you're run, if you're running, that's got the, that's got the bump, a bump of running, um, you know? So anyway, whatever. Back to I hear you. Sorry, I get <laughs> no. derailed really easily. But but the the Kaizen updates that big update came out after the XT3 was out for like a month. Um, so I mean, I feel like we need to give them a little bit of time to like one introduce the XT4 because uh, we don't personally. I don't even know what the XT4 could have from a computational perspective that is going to really change the game um when i used the xt3 i had uh i had rented one for my last two weddings uh because right now i'm using the my, my primary cameras are the x pro 2 and the xt2 oh yeah respectively nice and yeah. the xt3 holy crap like the the focusing on that is just ridiculously insane yeah it's way better than xt2 for sure that but that all comes down to the x processor 4 and so the thing is yeah. like with xt4 i don't think they're going to make a new processor because that's a really quick turnaround like a year and a half for a brand new piece of silicon is pretty quick for the camera market yes uh and the x the x processor 4 was already the first processor to have you know quad core so it could process twice as fast and it was just at a higher clock speed and i don't know I, I don't see them introducing a new processor until like maybe the xt5 yeah um and so because of because of that i don't th that's the thing like what kind of kaizen update is anyone expecting i guess like what does the xt3 not have that the xt4 is gonna bring like i there the is one thing that, that I, will I will look forward to is it once the XT4 is released, the price tag of the <laughs> XT3. Their XT3s. Yeah. I will happily yeah, jump on that. Buy two of them. <laughs> it's funny because I had um I didn't buy an XT3 until 
my X-T2 literally stopped working. Like it wouldn't charge anymore. And I tried multiple batteries and blah, blah, blah. And it was kind of a soft excuse for me to just go out and buy an X-T3 finally. Um, and then, and then I ended up getting my X-T2 fixed anyway, because I've taken portraits with the X-T2 that I feel like I couldn't get with the X-T3. And I was like trying to blame it on the backside illuminated sensor of the X-T3. And it's probably nothing that I can actually blame anything on besides just me. <laughs> um, but I just, I cared about my X-T2 so much that I actually ended up getting it fixed and it cost 400 bucks to get it fixed, even though you can buy a new X-T2 now for 500. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I just, I love that X-T2. It's like, it's important to me because it really got me into photography and the one I have is so beaten up. It's ridiculous, but I just wanted to keep it. I hear you. Um, you get sent, you get that sentimental. sentimental. And I'm not a sentimental person because I've been like homeless for the last two and a half years, just like traveling around the world working, yeah. and not having an apartment. So I got rid of everything I own except for my camera gear and my laptop and, uh, you know, seven Uniqlo shirts of that are gray because like, <laughs> who cares? And, but yet there are a few tiny things like my camera that, uh, when I was in Berlin in September for a trade show I was covering and my XT3 got stolen and I didn't think I would get sentimental out uh, over anything anymore because, you know, everything's replaceable, right? Like that's been my mentality on life is that like nothing's the end of the world because everything's replaceable. Sure. It sucks. Money sucks, but money's money and you'll deal with it. Yeah. But, but when my XT3 got stolen, I was like, man i've used this for like a year and a half and this kind of actually hurts like i didn't want to buy another one um but i did because my xt2 was somewhere else and whatever anyway yeah so uh yeah the thing is like with the kaizen updates unless they literally had a new processor that enabled new features which i don't even know this is the thing like i don't i don't know what people want like i i'm gonna like the ibis that's not something they can add in a software update unless they do um, software crop and then do have a better algorithm for stabilization, software stabilization. Yeah. But, but I don't know. Like, what do you think? Like, what do, what do you, what do people want? <laughs> I don't know. What do people want in a Kaizen update? Cause like they figured out that they could push a few features that they thought were only possible with the X processor four into the X processor three. And that's why the XT 2s Kaizen update was so massive. Yeah. Same with like the X pro two, right? Like you have an X pro two. When you got that 4k video recording, you were probably ecstatic. like cool. Um, and now I've I, recently started to, to use it. It's, it's been there for like ages and yeah, <laughs> only now I'm starting to explore the video capability to it. I, I just don't know what people want in the, in a, in another Kaizen update. Cause there's not, there's not a lot. That seems it is, like is left besides like raw video, but that would need a new processor. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. even care about that. The beauty about using the Fujifilm uh, and, and like like you were saying, the vlog and all that stuff, and, and getting that you know cinema look and everything. I don't care yeah. because <laughs> I could yeah. just slap on Eterna or. Uh, classic chrome and i'm getting uh -huh. the you know there it is there, there's my look i i don't have to do anything else to it yeah other than just make sure i edit it to make sure it makes sense uh but again my video knowledge is extremely limited i'm still like just starting in 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 that realm uh yeah i've been in stills for 
you know, so many years, uh, mm-hmm. you know, close to 20 years. Personally, all I want is, you know, I, I want those film simulations on, on the other cameras. Right. Um, yeah. If I could get Eterna on the X-T2 or, you know, the, the classic classic negative. That, that, I, I am personally surprised that they have not, that they haven't ported, like, you know, all the other film simulations to the older cameras. Because something that I think... The, a reason why people like Fujifilm as a brand is because they will often make decisions that are not good business decisions, but they're good for their consumers. Yes. Like doing the Kaizen updates, uh, not good to sell new cameras. <laughs> like in my opinion, they're, this is the one thing that they're like, we need to withhold these film simulations. Cause it's the only way that we're going to make sure that we keep selling X pro threes. <laughs> um, you know, because like the Expert Three is the only camera right now that has the classic negative. Um, yeah, which is supposed to be like kind of like superior. And then there's like Eterna. I freaking love Eterna. Um, and I I love it for my it stills. Lot. Oh yeah, it's good for stills too. It's just it's just very like cinematic. It's it's kind of like it's funny. It's kind of the opposite of classic Chrome. It's kind of if you're going for like I want a filmy look versus I want a dramatic look, but yes. like having the ability to just jump between them is, is nice. Uh, totally. And I use it a lot for video actually, because it gives you that flexibility. Um, there's, there's kind of this like culty, there's this corner of YouTube, which doesn't feel like a corner of, to me because that's what I like frequent. And my friends are the ones that produce the videos, but of people just obsessing over like, what's the best, uh, mirrorless camera closest to cinema setup that you can make basically and yeah people like caleb pike and um just there's a, there's a lot of people in the space that are that are great at doing that uh and so the xc3 has kind of gained a lot of traction over the last maybe year because of the features it offers where like a turna is really easy to grade to make it look filmy uh it can do internal 10 bit which like most cameras can't do that so it's a it is like a serious workhorse camera as well as like an artistic camera but i think it's i think it's the the marriage of the two that makes it for me such a kind of the perfect camera for me in a way yeah um i was kind of hoping that the x pro 3 so i'm 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 working on this piece right now cuz i tried to cover the x i tried to cover ces with just the x pro 3 um because the X-T3 is like what I use for every day. Yeah. Now they, they put a 2.5 millimeter headphone jack in or a mic jack in the Expert 3. And I have no idea why. <laughs> and it really was very annoying to me. Cause like who owns anything that's a 2.5 millimeter headphone anymore. So I don't, I don't know. It's, I think again, it's like they probably just had people at corporate that were like, all right, we, we have to actually sell these cameras. Yeah. Um, and they didn't want to like, cannibalize the xt3 but uh yeah i don't know i would have liked i i I have this like uh thing where i would like to be one of the people that shoots everything with an x pro because the x pro is like the photographer's purest camera and i love the way they look i think they look way nicer than the xt3 in terms of like yeah but in terms of being like a workhorse for especially for video and when i need to like i changed i just i changed my shutter speed and iso so rapidly in these press conferences and press rooms and like just things that are happening instantly, like using the X pro three for something like that is a little more challenging. For It sure. is because of that. Uh, you got to lift it. 
Yeah, that, yeah that the lift dial. thing, and yeah. then and then like yeah, I don't know, a lot of different things. The chipping, and I get why they made the X Pro Three. I think that my um, conclusion for that trying to use it for CS was that it's not as optimal as the XT Three, but right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. And yeah. that's why with wedding photography, I will bounce between the X Pro 2 and the XT2. Make sure I use both accordingly. So I, I, I hear you. Yeah. Like the. I think they both have their strengths for sure. Yeah. And while I love the. Like for my wide shots, I'll, I'll use the 23 millimeter most often on my X Pro 2 to just. It allows me to take in the whole picture. Whereas. The XT2 yeah. is usually my telephoto lens. Right, exactly. I have the 80 millimeter 2.8 macro, which is one of my favorite lenses of all time. Yeah. Um, I bought it on a whim a few years ago because I happened to be in Oregon and it happened to be on sale. So there was no sales tax and it was on sale. And I was like, oh, all right, nice, whatever. Amazon, I can return it in a month if I don't like it. And <laughs> it's It's been one of my most used lenses of all time just because for product photography, like getting those little details it's so important. But what I mean from that is that when I mount that to the X Pro 3, it kind of just looks like a lens with a computer attached to it. Um, <laughs> or, or even the, I have the 50 to 140 as well. And yeah. uh, on the, on the XT, uh, XT3 with the, the grip, uh, that looks more normal. <laughs> yeah. It looks a little more, this is supposed to be on this. Um, yeah. So right on. it's a little unwieldy if you, if you use the X Pro 3 with those lenses on it, but yeah. They work, so. Dave, I could go, we, we could go on and on uh, chatting about this stuff. Um, yeah, but apologies. I'm, no, no apologies. This overly is, this ranty has been, sometimes. <laughs> this has been amazing and, and very informational, especially about the nature of the, uh, the film simulations. Um, so what I'd like to do is have you back on the show uh, sometime soon, you know, during the next product launch or, you know, we could. Yeah. Just kind of uh, brainstorm what's been going on uh, on Fuji side, and you know, give our uh, initial takes on stuff. Sure, yeah, totally uh, happy to come back anytime. So, but in the meantime, tell the world where they can find you on the web. Yes, uh, my most popular social media platform is Twitter because I really like Twitter. Um, I'm at Dervid ML on Twitter, which is slightly confusing, but someone impersonated me with my name and. Anyway, whatever. Uh, my website is davidml.com, or you can find most of my writing currently um, on androidauthority.com, which is where I do my writing. And I also produce all the videos for their YouTube channel. So that's the Android Authority YouTube channel. So, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Very cool. Well, oh, was... Instagram is also David ML. So oh, yeah, there, there we go. We can't <laughs> right. forget that. I forgot this is a photography podcast. <laughs> I'm supposed to get my Instagram. And yeah. I highly recommend everybody check out, especially the Instagram. It, it is gorgeous photography, and uh, you get to see how he uses his computational style <laughs> and uh, all that <laughs> crazy fun stuff. But, uh, Dave, it's been awesome having you on the show. Definitely have you back soon, and uh, we'll, we'll see you later. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. That's all the time for this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. David was an awesome guest. Great conversation on the technical side of photography. And we hope to have him back very soon. In the meantime, head on over to Fujilove.com for your latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm, the X-Series, 
GFX cameras, so much more. Head on over to fujilove.com. It's what makes this show possible. That's all for this week. We'll see you next time.